there's nothing more exciting than uh, learning that new life is on the way. And I know that there are some uh, families right here in this room this morning. That's very true. We have some children that are on the way. I was talking to one very proud father who just learned that he's going to, in addition to having a son, is going to be having a daughter in about four months. And uh, that's great celebration when we see new life. And the same thing is true of a church family. When there's nothing more exciting for a church than seeing a stream of people who are constantly out of their lostness, out of their separation from Jesus Christ, coming to know him as their savior. And you know, I just had the joy this morning during the uh, time while you guys were singing to be down with about, I don't know, eight or 10 children, and uh, all of whom have invited Jesus in their young years to come into their lives. And we're gonna have the privilege and the, you know, the joy of seeing a good number of them, if not all of them, be baptized in two weeks. That's gonna be a fantastic time to celebrate. It is. And uh, so very grateful again for those adults in our church that are investing themselves in the lives of our children and the lives of our youth because the dividends, the rewards of that are profound. They're eternal. And, and what a joy it is to be engaged as followers of Jesus Christ in sharing the gospel, sharing the good news uh, in our world, in the dark places where God puts us. And so, as Pastor Chris mentioned a moment ago, uh, we're doing that globally. We support 30-plus missionaries who are taking the gospel to people. People are coming to Christ all around the world, and we're having a part in that. But we're going to be focused uh, upon what God and how God is going to be doing that, is doing that right here through you and I. So let me begin this way this morning, this, this new series that we're calling Missionary Training, okay? Uh, when I was a baby, uh, my mother started taking me to church with her, uh, not because she had become a follower of Jesus, she hadn't but because my Aunt Martha, assisted by my Aunt Mary, both of whom were followers of Jesus, they reached out to my mother, and they began to include her in their lives. They built relationships with her, and as a result, my mom, who did not grow up in a church-going family at all, uh, eventually, she started to come to the church. And incidentally, uh, side note, <laughs> that those first church services that my mom carried me to were in my granddad's barn, believe it or not. Uh, now, that tells you a little bit about where I lived, okay, at that time. You may think I was, you know, in one of those episodes of Little House in a Prairie or something, but, but anyway, uh, yeah, on the second floor of my granddad's barn, and uh, I don't remember this, but I know the cows were downstairs, and so you could probably hear the, you know, hear the cows, and maybe there'd be a dog or a cat walk through the service now and then. I don't know. But anyway, the, they were meeting there while about a half mile down the road, they were building a, a new small church building, which eventually is the church that I, I, can, I can remember. But anyway, uh, and my Aunt Martha and my Aunt Mary... They were in this relationship with my mother for the long haul 
because it wasn't for another 10 years that my mother finally professed Jesus as her savior. Uh, so she took me to church 10 years and was in relationship with these people and more who received her and made her feel welcome. Uh, but it took 10 years for her to finally come to the place of committing her life to Christ. And isn't that wonderful? And isn't, it, isn't that what Christ calls us to? He calls us to be in this for the long haul with people, uh, pouring into lives, building friendships, building relationships. So that's what this series is all about. Uh, missionary training. Now, the title might throw you a little bit because, as we've already sort of alluded to, we have the privilege of being a sending church. That means we are sending missionaries, 30-plus of them, into different parts of the world. We're financially supporting them, and God is bearing fruit. But you know what? Even more basic than being a sending church, we are a sent church ourselves. We are sent, you and I, as missionaries, uh, to bring the message of Jesus to those who are in our world, in our neighborhood, in the place where we work, and the people we brush shoulders with day by day. And this is because we're all missionaries for one simple reason. It's because God himself is at the very core of his nature. That's what God is. God is a missionary. And we're made in his image. And when we, who, when we come to Christ and the nature of Christ begins to take root in us, the nature of Christ, the nature of God is that of a missionary. Uh, for instance, the scripture says that God the Father, out of a missionary heart, he sent the Son, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And you know, you could put your name in there, and you could put the name of every human being who's ever lived and who is ever living on this planet, for God so loved the world that he gave, he sent his one and only Son, so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's out of, a, out of God the Father's missionary heart. And so he sent the Son, and of course Jesus came as a sent missionary into our world. Jesus came, he died on the cross for our sins, he rose from the dead, and then what did Jesus do? He sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a missionary. Acts chapter 2, verses 32 and 33 says this. God has raised, this is part of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. And exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And so the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church, and then the Holy Spirit calls us to be missionaries. And Jesus said it this way in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will be sent to witness for me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the nations of the world. And that mission that we have with God and from God was expressed by Jesus many, many times. Here's just a couple ways Jesus expressed it. He said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he said, for the Son of Man 
came to seek and to save those who are lost. Now, lost is the word that Jesus used many times to describe people who are separated from God in their sins. It's to be lost is to be lost from God forever. It's to be on a path walking away from God. And when a person's walking away from God, they're walking away from themselves too because they're never going to discover who they really were created to be if we're walking away from God. We were made for him and we were made by him. And a person's walking away from beauty, a person is walking away from purpose and meaning, they're walking away from everything life was intended to be when they walk away from God. They are indeed, as Jesus said, lost in their sins, lost from God forever. But God so loved the world that he's, this missionary God, he has sent this gospel of Jesus Christ into the world. So, uh, Jesus' last words, another way he expressed the mission to us. He says this in Matthew chapter 28. He says to his disciples, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. You know, uh, that word we translate into English as go, really in the Greek language in which this was originally written, that's a participle, which if you remember anything about English, and it's okay if you don't, uh, <laughs> what that means is while you are going, as you go about your day-by-day -day living, be about the business of sharing your faith. Be about the business of witnessing. Be about the business of making disciples, helping other people come to faith in Christ. Then testify to it by being baptized in water and then teaching them how to live that life out so that they then become witnesses of Christ as well. Uh, so, let me say, make this first point this way. All of us have many roles, I guess you could say, many identities that we fulfill in our lives. First of all, we're all individuals. We have our own personalities. We have our own abilities. We have different jobs and careers. Some in here are single. Some in here are married. Maybe one of your roles is that of being a dad or a granddad or a mom or a grandma. The role of a friend, the role of a job. Uh, maybe, you, maybe one of your roles is... Uh, into some sort of extreme sports or something, and you uh, bungee jump, and you jump off cliffs, and you, you know, jump out of airplanes. Anyone do that in here? Okay, I don't know. Anyway, whatever your identities might happen to be, okay? Uh, Bears fan, all right, that's another identity. But above all of that stuff, if you are a son or a daughter of God the Father, who has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and who has been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, then above every other role in life that you have, above every other identity you have, your identity is that of a missionary in the image and likeness of the God who is a missionary as well. But sometimes this most important role, it can slip out of being our top priority because we get busy we get busy inside the church and we get busy outside the church. And sometimes we forget that making space to be among people sharing our faith 
is the number one priority of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we forget that. Now, that actually happened in one of the great churches of the New Testament, the church in Ephesus. And Jesus, uh, in Revelation chapter 2, he speaks to this great church about losing their priority, their missional priority. This is what he says. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. I know that you're standing for truth, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but and are not and have found uh, them false. You have persevered. You've endured hardships for my name. And you've not grown weary. So he's, he's commending the church. Man, you guys, your doctrine is right on. You're... you're uh, you're serving, you're suffering, you're, 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 not, you're staying true to the faith. Your programs and your activities, you're just doing a lot of great stuff as a church. And yet, verse number four, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first when you first came to know me. That same love isn't there anymore. So consider how you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So that's a pretty serious deal right there. What does it mean when they had lost their first love? Well, it means they had lost that first love they had for God and that first love they had for people. Because those two always go together. And the great commandment is, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with every fiber of your being, and not just God with every fiber of your being and all your heart and soul and mind and strength, but your neighbor as yourself. It goes out to your neighbor too. That's the first love. And so that first love, and, and, and Jesus says here, if a church loses that first love, and what is that? Then the light that they are in their community, the lamp, that light is going to start to diminish and go out. So it's tied to our being witnesses. It's tied to our being, it's that first love for God and people that keeps us on mission and keeps the light of the gospel shining out of our lives and keeps us motivated to make space in our lives to be sharing this gospel with people around us. And... Uh, and so this series that we're in is just a reminder to us all to bring us back to this core missionary call that every single one of us has. So when we think of missionaries, we should not only think of those 30-plus specially designated people that we send out from here. The term equally applies to every follower of Jesus Christ. We are all full-fledged missionaries sent out into our world to share this gospel. And we're just going to look at a reminder. Now, we're going to look at three things over the next three weeks. Today, we're going to talk about prayer and its role in our being, in our, our being missionaries. Next week, we're going to talk about listening, listening to people. And then in week number three, we're going to talk about speaking and doing, having conversation uh, with people about Christ. So today, uh, focused upon prayer. And the basic idea we're going to look at here is live, living prayerfully 
asking the Holy Spirit to guide us to people who are ready to be pointed toward Jesus Christ. And you know, we talk a lot about walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, about being filled with the Holy Spirit. I think that's inseparable from living a prayerful life. If we are living a prayerful life, we're, we're going to be walking with the Holy Spirit. You cannot take those two apart. If we want to be led by the Spirit in our lives, then living prayerfully uh, in, a, in an ongoing conversation of prayer with God through the Holy Spirit, that's, what it's, that's, that's the first thing that's most, uh, of most importance in being ready to share our faith. And I'm going to give you some reasons for that. Number one, praying for a person leads to loving that person. I would venture to say, if we're not really praying for the people around us, I don't know how much we're loving them either. Because prayer, in concert with the Holy Spirit for another human being, that is what develops love for that person. Uh, if you are praying for the people you work with every day, what's going to happen is, that the Holy Spirit is going to begin to fill you with his love for that person. And so it's going to be more than any love we could muster up ourselves. It's going to be God's love. It's going to be the Holy Spirit's feelings for that person that are going to, be, that are going to begin to take shape in my heart and they're going to affect my relationship with that individual. Now, sometimes the person you work with might be a tough person to work with. <laughs> Okay, maybe a person you work with is pretty vulgar, okay? Or maybe they have, they, their values are completely opposite to your values. Maybe their politics are completely opposite to your politics. Maybe their lifestyle is just way, way, way out of bounds from anything that remotely would look like a Christian lifestyle, okay? But the Jesus who lives in you loves that person so much that he gave his life for that person. And what we must remember is that all the vulgarity we see in that person's life that might offend us and keep us away from them, all of the, the politics, all of the, the stuff in that person's life that might say, hey, stay away. Jesus didn't stay away. Jesus, in fact... He bore all of that vulgarity himself as though he were the vulgar one. He bore all that person's sins. He bore every offensive thing that you could ever see in that person. Jesus took that to the cross. Why? One reason. He's a missionary. One reason. He loves that person. And he's put you, and he's put you there to demonstrate that love, to be the vehicle through which the love of Christ, the most attractional magnetic force in the universe that can break barriers in people's lives is the love of Jesus Christ, the love of God. Because every human being was created aspiring and longing for that kind of love. Many of them just don't know that yet, and they're looking for it everywhere else. If you are there, then you become that great hope for that person that can turn their life around. You know, it should not surprise us that sinners talk and act like sinners, right? That shouldn't surprise us. 
And yet Jesus came into just such a world. Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit, Jesus was motivated and led by the Holy Spirit during his entire ministry. And one of the great scenes is Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem as he was approaching for that final week, the week where he was going to the cross. Just before he went into the city, he was overlooking it. And the scripture says he got down and he wept over that city. Let me ask a question. I'm asking it to myself too. How long has it been since you or I have actually been moved to tears praying for a lost person in our neighborhood or a lost person that we work with, praying for our neighbors, for the community? How, how long has it been since that kind of a compassion stirred your heart for people that don't know Jesus? You know, John Knox, who was the founder of the Presbyterian Church in Scotland way back in the 1500s, he prayed a prayer, and I heard this way back when I was a student, and it sort of impressed me, because this is what he used to pray uh, for the, the whole nation, Scotland. It was simply this. He said, give me Scotland or I die. Give me Scotland or I die. And I think that's the passion that's the love that Jesus has for our, our lost world. So who are the persons in your daily life that, do, that, as far as you know, don't know Jesus? And who, if you were to get quiet before the Holy Spirit and listen carefully to him, who would that person or persons be that he would want to share his burden for that person with you? And maybe then, if we listen to the Holy Spirit and feel what he feels for those people around us, maybe then the tears are going to come. Maybe then we're going to, we're going to pray like Jesus did over the city of Jerusalem. You know, uh, I think one of the reasons, and I alluded to it earlier, one of the reasons why we lose this priority sometimes is because, man, it's busy. Life is like a whirlwind, right? It's crazy. Uh, and I remember, oh, 25 years ago or more, maybe more, we were all out at Cedar Point in Ohio and a great amusement park if you've never been there. Uh, but anyhow, uh, they had a merry-go-round out there. And we've been riding the roller coasters and all those things that turn you upside down and inside out and everything else. And we thought, man, okay, let's just take a break. Let's get on the merry-go-round. Okay, so we got into this merry-go-round. And uh, I should have had a clue because all the horses on that merry-go-round were in the race, racehorse uh, form. And, and then it started with the trumpet, or the, is that the steeplechase, whatever that is they play at the, you know, you know it was just before the merry-go-round took off. Okay, well then when that merry-go-round took off, okay, this was no relaxing ride, okay? That thing gained speed, and I'll tell you what, the people standing around watching were a blur, and we were hanging on for dear life on that merry-go-round. <laughs> so uh, now, okay, then I thought to myself, when I was thinking about how busy life is right now, I thought back to that, that merry-go-round ride, because I'll tell you what, life gets to be a blur, there's so much going on. But somehow, here's the challenge for us, 
followers of Jesus, the missionaries of Jesus, in the middle of that, we have got to, we must not let our call as missionaries become a secondary, a secondary thought, something we pay lip service to. It's got to be something we actually are doing. Uh, okay, that's one reason for praying. We're going to begin to love the people that we're praying for. Number two, uh, prayer is engaging in the spiritual battle that's going on in the lives of those who are lost. You know, Paul, as a missionary, shared the message of Jesus with people who, no who knew nothing about Jesus. They had never heard of him. He was in a pagan world. They were worshiping other gods. There were all kinds of barriers to belief in Christ when Paul walked into some of those pagan cities. And this is what Paul says, this is what Paul discovered as he went about being a missionary in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ who is the exact likeness of God. So here's Jesus, who is, the ex who is the fullness of who God is in all of his radiance and glory. Think of 20 billion zillion suns in magnitude, and even more than that, that's who Jesus is. And yet those who are lost in their sins cannot see, can't see that. They can't see the glory of Christ. And so there's definitely a, a spiritual battle here. Satan has blinded the eyes of those who, don't, who, who do not come running to Christ. If there weren't a problem here, a spiritual problem, Christ is so much the essence of beauty. Christ is so much the essence of glory and brilliance. Every human being on this planet would come rushing to him. But that isn't the case because Satan has blinded the eyes of people all around us to the most glorious of all persons, Jesus Christ. Now, so Paul was up against Satan in being a missionary and sharing the gospel, and so are you and I. We're up against an enemy. But you know, remember part of the mission? Jesus said in his hometown, he said, I've come to proclaim liberty to the captives. I've come to set the prisoners free. So lost people are prisoners. They can't see outside of the prison that, of their sins. They can't see it. And that's, again, why they, why they act like sinners. Okay? But here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For the benefit of us who are missionaries, he says this. We are human, but we do not wage war, spiritual war, like humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. And so as we are going about, led by the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, and led by the Spirit to, in people that we can share our faith with, then the Holy Spirit is giving us this he, the Holy Spirit's at work there to help take the blindness 
away from that person's eyes so they will be receptive to the gospel. And that's, that's how we have this teamwork with the Holy Spirit. Now, it could take, it took 10 years for the blinders to fall off my mom's eyes before she finally saw the brilliance and beauty of Jesus Christ. So we have to be in this for the long haul. We're in this because we love people. And we don't love them today and forget about them tomorrow. We're in it because we love people. Uh, now, each one of us, I would say that each one of us who have come to Christ have been set free from our own past false ideas, which were once our barriers to knowing God. Is there anyone in here who was a real hard case rebel before you surrendered to God? I see a hand over here. Any other hard case rebels before you came to Christ? Okay, all right. Okay, all right. Now, but here you are, <laughs> okay? Which is testimony to the power that the Lord has to take blindness away and soften the hardest human heart. You know, the Apostle Paul himself was one of the most hard-cased rebels to the gospel who ever lived. But he heard Stephen pray as Stephen was being stoned. And Paul was there holding the coats, and he was there cheering. Stone this guy. Kill this guy. He was there cheering them on. But he heard Stephen pray this prayer. And this shows the power of praying with the Holy Spirit for those who are lost. Acts chapter 7, verse 59 and 60, it says, While uh, Stephen was being stoned, Stephen prayed. Here's the prayer he prayed. Lord, don't hold this sin against them. If someone was stoning you, would you feel inclined to say, Lord, don't hold this sin against them? And that's that kind of love we were talking about in point number one. We've got to have that kind of love when we go to, uh, among people that may otherwise very deeply offend us. But that kind of love breaks barriers down. Breaks barriers down. Now, uh, in chapter 6, verse 18, uh, just after, uh, of Ephesians, just after Paul has given that whole list of spiritual armor to wear, this is what he says. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. We have to go praying, praying in the Spirit. Now, here's the third reason why we, would, we need to be praying. Because prayer opens opportunities to share Jesus. Uh, when you approach your life as a missionary, the Spirit of God will guide you to certain people who are at a point of readiness to hear the good news. Here's one example of that in Paul's own life. In Acts chapter 16, Paul is on his second missionary journey. Now, two times he seeks to go a certain direction, but both times the Holy Spirit strongly speaks in his heart and says, Paul, that is not the direction I want you to go right now. Not now. Later, maybe, but not now. And so what Paul did instead was he went over, he went west over to the city of Troas, which is right on the border, right on the coast of the Aegean Sea, across from Greece, across from Europe. Acts chapter 16, verses 9 and 10. Now, when Paul went to Troas, he went to sleep that night, or maybe he was up praying, I'm not sure which. Anyhow, it says that night, Paul had a vision. 
A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there, and listen to this, pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. In other words, come over to Macedonia and bring us the message of Jesus. Paul says, so we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Now, who was this guy in the Macedonian, uh, who was that guy? Well, most likely, he was a representative man, representing the people of Macedonia, who were pagan worshipers of Apollo, the god Apollo. He was representing the people of of Macedonia, who were lost and far away from Jesus, and he's pleading with Paul to come and bring the message. And this is exactly how we should see the people around us at work who do not know Jesus. And maybe today they think they would never even want to know Jesus. But as I said a few moments ago, every human being on this planet is longing to know Jesus Christ. That's inescapable because he created us for himself. People are trying to fill it with everything else, but every human being has a a longing to know Jesus Christ. When we go to work tomorrow, or our neighbors, we we can go knowing that, that that person over there, the thing they want most in this universe, the most in this world, they want to know Jesus. They just don't know it yet. And we're there to help, help them see that. Uh, now, you know, the gospel is full of surprises, too. Or the God, God is full of surprises. Because it's a man of Macedonia in the dream that's calling Paul, pleading, hey, come over here and share the gospel. But as soon as they get to Macedonia, they, they go to the major city, which is the city of Philippi. And Paul immediately, he begins to search for a place where... People are gathered where he can go and and share the gospel. And so he finds a group of women uh, who had heard about the God of Abraham, but they had never heard the message of Jesus. Now, in verse number 14, it says this, one of them was Lydia from Thyatira. She was a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God, the God of Abraham, and as she listened to us, Share the message of Jesus. I like what it says here. The Lord opened up her heart. All that blindness, the Lord took care of that. The Lord opened up her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. And then she and her household were baptized. What a great day that was. See, the gospel tears down barriers. Because the very first convert in Europe, the very first convert in Western Christianity is a woman. The Holy Spirit knew Lydia's heart was ready, and he directed Paul to get on a boat and travel all the way across the Aegean Sea so he could come and share the gospel with this one, beginning with this one woman. That's how much, that's the great love that God has. And uh, so each of us, we must personalize this Macedonian call. It's not just the call to Paul. It's the call to every follower of Jesus, just as much as it is to Paul. Our Macedonian call is to the village where you live, to the neighborhood where you live, 
to the people that you work with, the people you perhaps are attending school with. Uh, our Macedonian call is to the Starbucks in your neighborhood, maybe, or, or the Dunkin' Donut, if that's where you go. Uh, I know there's a competition between those two. Uh, it's okay, all right. Uh, or the health club where you go. That's your, that's your Macedonian call. There's, there's people in all those places that are pleading to know Jesus. And we can bring that answer to them. So as we share one person at a time, another great thing to remember is that we're really precipitating a movement of the gospel. Uh, you know, my Aunt Martha and Aunt Mary, uh, they reached out to my mom. Uh, I can guarantee you, most likely, I wouldn't be sitting up here doing this today if they had not reached out to my mom 50 years ago. Or no, 70 years ago, okay. 70 years ago, forgot. I'm forgetting how old I am, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> they reached out to her a long time ago. I wouldn't be here. Uh, and, and any person I've ever had an opportunity to share the gospel with, that was set in motion by my Aunt Martha and Aunt Mary way back out in the middle of nowhere in a barn, you know, in a church that met in a barn. So God does these fantastic things. He does it one person at a time. One person at a time. If we're in it for the long haul. So who are those one persons at a time that God is putting on your heart? Well, I want us to come to three action steps as we wrap this up today. Number one, as you go about, go praying, led by the Spirit, Asking the Holy Spirit to lead you to an intersection with the people that he wants you to point toward Jesus, that person who's ready. And I forgot to say, you know, sometimes the most rebellious, belligerent persons may seem like they would be the least ready to receive the gospel. Sometimes it's not true. Sometimes they're the ones that are they're about ready to receive the gospel. They're putting up a big fight against God. So don't let, don't let that, you know, steer us away from people that may seem just total skeptical, you know, all that. Just love and care and, and converse as we can. Number two, two action step is write down the names of individuals that the Spirit is placing on your heart and do spiritual battle on their behalf. You don't know all that's going on in their lives. The Holy Spirit does. Uh, so write their names down. Be tangible about this. Get a piece of paper out. Write down their names. Put it in your cell phone, whatever. And then number three, just be ready for those opened opportunities to share Jesus. And we're going to be talking about some of these further points on the actual conversations and sharing Jesus. We'll be talking about those over the next week or two. But, uh, but let's begin. Let's begin by making sure that we are praying. Uh, praying like missionaries pray, because that's who we are. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for the calling you've placed upon us. And Lord, uh, we know that um, there's no greater joy in heaven than overseeing one person repent of their sins. That brings such joy to the whole family of God, even to heaven. So Lord, uh, help us to remember that the mission 
you have given us, every single one of us who is a follower of Jesus, our primary mission is to share this good news. So Lord, lead us, guide us, embolden us by your spirit. Place those people on our hearts uh, that you would have us to be uh, specially focusing upon, Lord. And then Holy Spirit, guide us as we are in it for the long haul with that person to be a, a testimony in the way we live and a testimony, Lord, through the opportunity to have conversations. So, Father, we give you praise for this, and we pray these things in Jesus' great, his mighty name. Amen. Amen.